0: Well, praise God. Thank you, Lord. That's a lovely song. Um, Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, your compassion, your love. Thank you for your unconditional love for us, Lord. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. Your body was broken and your blood was spilt for us. And uh, we thank you that it's made a way for us to be connected with you again. Um, We don't have to strive to be a a certain person to be acceptable in your sight we've been made acceptable in your sight when we've received you as our Lord and Saviour so we give you thanks for it and thank you for this bread which represents your body and this um, juice which represents your blood we thank you for it in Jesus name amen Thank you, Father God. Okay, Lord, um, you're so good. Thank you, Haley, for the change in music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> getting us in the right mood. A <laughs> um, couple of things I just wanted to mention. Um, youth has been going well. We had our third youth meeting last Thursday, which was fabulous. Um, we're going to be on again on the 19th of October, which is awesome. So, if you're aged between, if you're at school and aged between 12 and 18, you are most welcome to come. We meet over in the building next door, 6:30 to 8:30, and uh, it's going well. And and I appreciate also all the people that have been praying for us as well. We appreciate that. We can't do without your prayers. Um, that's really important. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much. Um, today, you may have I don't know if you've noticed or not, but no kids' church today. Um, Unfortunately, we've our, our kids, people that do it, are not are here to, not able to be here today. So apologies for that. However, if you would like to volunteer at some point, you are most welcome to do that too. <laughs> um, if you, uh, by the way, if you, we have an email newsletter get, that gets sent out every week, and if you don't receive that, maybe you're not on our mailing list. So if you don't and you'd like to receive it, um, let Pastor Peter or I know or Tucker who was the one leading before um, and we can get you uh, your email address and put you onto that list so um, so that would be fabulous. Final thing I wanted to mention before I stop talking about all this stuff is it's voting time next Saturday. Um, it's voting time now to be honest actually you can vote now but uh, in case you haven't seen this um, it's a value your vote um, pamphlet Put out by Family First, and it's got some really, really good. It's a really good resource to help you decide who you're going to vote for, because they focus on a lot of the moral issues that um, various people that are in government currently or have been in government at some point um, would vote on. And in fact, there's a few there that haven't been in government before as well, and how they would vote. So, really good resource. Um, to look at and you are welcome to take a copy. There's a few left down on the table just out in the foyer. I'd really encourage you to do that because it's important as a Christian to vote according to your values, not according to your favourite colour or, um, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) You've got to make sure that you're you're voting with um, purpose and and so that's really important. Um, So I encourage you to do that and vote according to that. So today, I'm just going to start by praying. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Father God, that um, that I'm I'm privileged to be able to speak to this beautiful group of people today. Father, thank you, Lord, for your uh, wisdom and leading by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, you when you birthed this in my heart just this week, um, Lord that. Lord, that it was something that you want to say to the people. So I pray, God, that their hearts will be soft and open to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so my message title today is Truth or Compromise? So uh, there's a battle for truth going on, I'm sure you've noticed. Um, it's it's actually been happening for a whole life and before that, in fact, ever since um, creation, really, with the enemy. Um and it has developed in a gradual yet subtle way um, so that most of us haven't even noticed. And if, we've ha- if we have, some of us have kind of woken up to a little bit in the last few years. But, you know, the enemy's been working all this time, many, many, many decades, centuries, millennia, um, trying to deceive. He is the father of lies, the Bible says. And uh, so the, one of the strategies of the enemy is to masquerade lies as truth. And um, that obviously goes directly against God, since there is no lies in God at all. God is truth. Um, And Satan, you know, does that through deception, and he does it by putting thoughts in our minds sometimes. He can deceive us directly by doing that. Um, But also he can deceive us through influences as well, by deceiving them. And uh, they might be people we respect or... um, could be even media um, or social media as well, but his goal is for truth to be found. Truth, not the truth, but truth to be found anywhere except our Lord Jesus. But Jesus is the truth. The Bible says in John fourteen six. So the Bible says in that chapter, John fourteen verse six, He said, "I am the way." The truth and the life, and then he said, "No one can come to the Father except through me." And that—that's the truth as well. Is that—that that is the only way to God—is through what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. We can't do it through good works. We can't do it through any other religion either. Um, it's only through Jesus. And why does he tell us the truth? It's because he loves us. He loves us. That's why. And. Uh, if we, if we uh, told our children, it's fine to play on the road, it's not dangerous at all, that's not truth, is it? In fact, that's dangerous for our children. <laughs> and so we tell our children the truth because we love them, right? And so um, 1 John 5.20 also says, the Son of God has come that we may know who, him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And so those words, the word truth in John 14 6 and the words true three times in 1 John 5.20, they actually have the same root word, which means real truth. Um, or in other words, the origin or the source of truth um, and reality. Okay, and fat which is fact. So so truth is Jesus is the source of truth. He is That's why we've got that sign outside that says Jesus is the real source of truth, because he is. Um, But the enemy doesn't want us to know. He doesn't want us to understand, and he certainly doesn't want us to recognize the difference between false truth and the truth. So I want to talk to you about um, tolerance for a little bit. Uh, Now, tolerance in um, earlier dictionary definitions as, and some and some definitions still have it as this, but not all of them do. It's really interesting. You look at various um, dictionaries, and some change um, as time goes on. And they all they all do eventually, I guess. But but certainly um, the word tolerance, the definition for that is changing. Um, so it it has meant for a very long time to acknowledge that others have differing beliefs, and accept that it is their right to do so. Okay, so we all know that. I mean, even within this room, we will have a whole lot of different uh, thoughts, different, different um, opinions about things, um, and it is our right to have that. You know, God's made us with a free will and, and choice to do that. Um, so the definition goes on to say it's also tolerance is to respect people and their individual views, opinions, or actions. But in recent years, it's also been redefined, the word tolerance to mean something else. And today, some define tolerance as being, uh, as giving everyone and everything equal space to be right. Accepting all views and actions as equally true. Um, And and another definition that I found online was an openness toward ideas, practices and opinions that are different from one's own. In other words, and it said a liberal attitude. So in other words, accepting other people's views Uh, and so consequently you know how the word intolerance is actually bandied about a lot now Um, it's used a lot and uh, it's frequently used against people who disagree and uh, but that's not really what it's meant to be though right (laughs) because you can still get on with people and yet disagree with them Um, and but it's also used often uh, for the against those who dare to stand up for the truth as well and there was a, a there's been multiple things like this happen but I, I'm just thinking of one particular pastor in Canada who was actually jailed for standing up for the truth and he was jailed for quite a while um, and which is terrible. however it's persecution isn't it and um, and but he ended up being released and there was quite a big outcry about that. But, uh, you know, it fits in perfectly with the enemy's plan to deceive. And so what does the Bible tell us about tolerance? Well, there's a few, couple of scriptures. And uh, Romans twelve seventeen to 18 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So this is Romans 12. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So this is telling us not to retaliate. Um, It's also telling us to respect people and their views and opinions. That actually does line up with that initial um, definition I gave, right? Even if their views and opinions don't line up with ours. And uh, I think we do, well, I would hope that we do a good job of that. I hope. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 tells us to... Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so the Bible's clear that we should live peaceably with all people and be motivated by love as far as we are responsible for our words and actions. But does this mean that we should tolerate sin in the name of love? Um, Proverbs. 17:15 tells us, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, or the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. That's interesting. And this verse clearly tells us that we should never justify sin in the name of tolerance or love, um, nor should we condemn believers for standing up for the truth either, actually, And so that brings me to another question. As believers, should we judge other people for their sin? No, we should not. Um, Because to judge is to deliver verdict or form a conclusion, okay? And I want to read you uh, some scriptures from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, and this is the ESV, English Standard Version. Jesus said, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounced but with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, you'll be judged in the same way that you judge other people. Um, and the measure, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a giant, big, huge log in your own eye? Don't you think it's going to affect your taking the speck out of the other person's eye? (laughs) You hypocrite, Jesus said. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in these verses, Jesus tells us we should always be uh, quick to reflect on our own life, checking ourselves out. And you know that scripture I read before when we had communion um, in 1 Corinthians 11? It says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Um, same sort of thing, isn't it? It's the same words. Um, so we need to check ourselves out for sinful attitudes, motivations, thoughts, words, actions. Do You notice that is a progression, by the way. An attitude can become a motivation, can become thoughts, can become words, and then actions. Um, Instead, So instead of, uh, so we, we should reflect on our own life rather than examining others for sin because that implies judging to criticise or punish rather than speaking the truth to help them out of error. But now while I say that, Je- Jesus did say do not judge, but he does expect us to show discernment, definitely. For example, um, a little bit later in that uh, chapter, Matthew 7 verses, I think it's 15 and 16, he actually says, "Beware of false prophets, and you'll know them by their fruits." So we do need to, we need to judge in that way. We need to be discerning and, and understanding, um, and and know. So what sort of judgment is wrong? Well, first of all, and this is probably obvious, judging someone by that what they look like, isn't good. Um, we've probably all done it at one point or other in our life. Um, based on their hair colour or their clothing or what car they drive or where they live, anything like that. Um, pointing out the sin of another while committing that same sin, that's hypocrisy. Um, what about this? Harsh and unforgiving judgment. So that's, that's, that's judging where uh, you don't have any love at all, all you're just trying to do is just say, you're blah, blah, blah doing this. And also self-righteous judgment is horrible too, I mean, and that's, that's one thing that Jesus pointed out a lot in the religious leaders um, back when he was on earth. Um, it's where you think you're better because you're not doing what they're doing kind of thing. But remember, and they forgot this, I think, that pride is also sin, and so... Um, So that's not good either. But when Jesus said, do not judge, he didn't say anything goes either. I just want to point that out. He didn't condone sin. He wasn't saying that. Um, Now, compromise, according to the dictionary, is to allow your principles to be less strong or your standards or morals to be lower. And my father used to say, who was uh, with Pastor Robin, was co-founder of this church, he used to say, what you compromise to keep, you lose, and um, that's very true. There are situations, though, where compromise can be good. So there, there are some, some situations where it can be good. For example, in a marriage situation, um, it's, it's, it's better, sometimes compromise is good because rather than compared to insisting on get doing things your way, you know, um, In another example, it's all right to compromise on things like uh, when you're going to meet a friend to go for lunch or when you're going to have your picnic down at QE2 Park or something like that. It's all fine to do things like that. But the Bible is really clear that we should never compromise his word or our faith in God through Jesus or godly values, principles and morals. Um, Compromise is dangerous because it doesn't actually start by um, taking everything of God, let's imagine this is everything, and just tossing it in the bin. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't start with that. Compromise never, ever starts with that. What it does, though, is it tries to accommodate God and also a bit of worldly stuff as well. But what, that, what happens then is that the compromise eventually pushes God out. Um, and there's an example in the Bible in 2 Timothy fourteen. Uh, G- uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy And he said, Demis has forsaken me Having loved this present world Now Demas was uh, working, he was in the ministry He was working alongside the Apostle Paul um, But he eventually left the church Because he loved the world more than he loved God um, His compromise led to his departure from the faith Which is a really, really sad thing And for a while he was committed to the ministry, but he compromised his values, his beliefs and standards, and left the ministry to pursue the things of the world. So in short, compromise on preferences to your heart's content. You can do that. But never compromise on godly principles, values and standards. Um, And I want to read a scripture to you from 2 Timothy uh, 4. Verses two to three it says preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, which is patience, and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Um, now, that's from the New King James Version. Um, I'll go through and explain what this means in a moment. But I want to focus on those three words, convince, rebuke, and exhort, for starters. So in the original Greek, convince means to expose or to convict, or to, that means to convince someone of the truth appealing to their conscience. Um, it means to reprove or to discipline um, to rebuke means to cor- correct to or to redirect. It means to warn in order to prevent something from going wrong. Um, and to exhort, it does mean encourage, but it also means to ask earnestly to do something and to offer up evidence that stands up in God's court. So as believers, especially those of us who are mature in the faith, mature in our faith, the Bible tells us to expose, to discipline, to try to redirect and to warn when we see another believer doing something which is wrong um, to encourage them, to give them evidence according to the word of God and when we do that it has to be done out of a motivation of love it has to be, has to be um so why does God tell us to convince and rebuke and exhort in 2 Timothy 4.2? And it has to be done in love, remember? Well, the next verse tells us 2 Timothy 4.3, which I've already read. Um, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So the time will or has come when some people will refuse to hear the truth of the word. Why? Why do you think they do that? It's because of their stubbornness or willfulness or determination. And those words, actually, the stubborn word comes from the original Greek, actually. Um, Because of their stubbornness and, and determination to do what they want, despite it being contrary to God's word. And so because they want their decision to be approved, they look for people who will agree with their decision, And that's in that scripture where it says, according to their own desires, what they want to do, because they have itching ears, because they want to hear people's approval, because they want to know that it's okay, you know, they want to hear what people say. It says they heap up for themselves teachers. That just means they find people who agree with them, and they listen, and it's like, oh, that's good, I like that, yep, what I'm doing is fine, and it makes them feel better. So they close their ears to the truth and listen instead to false truth, which is lies. And uh, it's, it's a dangerous place to be, and when a believer refuses to accept the discipline or the warning or the evidence from the word, they place themselves in a very dangerous position because they've turned aside from the truth and they're only listening to what they want to be true. You know, it's really easy... It's do you, it's really easy to find someone who will agree with you. Hey, do you think? It's pretty easy. Um, it's hard. This is what's hard. It's hard to listen and trust the advice of those you respect, even when you don't agree with them. That takes a bit of humility. I want to read to you from another scripture talks about this a little bit more, it's actually interestingly enough in 1 Timothy 4, rather than 2 Timothy 4, but 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2 says now the spirit expressly says that in latter times which we're actually now in some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron and um, and that's another warning from God's word. You know, God warns us in these scriptures that there are demonic spirits whose a specific assignment is to deceive, and, and they deceive us with lies. It's not the truth. Jesus is the truth, remembering that he is the truth. Um, and so we can take this as being the truth. So God warns us that when we listen to and act on false truth, which is anything contrary to God's word, our conscience becomes seared. And that means that our conscience is cauterised. If you don't know what that means, it's like your spiritual nerve endings are are deadened. Yep, Um, And so that means that our conscience isn't going to work to be able to prick us when we do something wrong like it once might have. And I want to give you an example from the Bible, and it's from the Old Testament. Um, This is an example of God's people refusing to accept God's discipline and warning. So in Jeremiah 11, 7 to 8, it's a prophetic word from Jeremiah, and he is speaking to the people um, of Israel um, back in the time of Moses when uh, the Israeli, Is, Is, Israelites were slaves in Egypt and had been for 400 years and um, Moses led them out but what happened was he was meant to lead them out and go straight to the promised land but because they of their unbelief and disobedience it, they didn't, they had to wait another 40 years Um, for all of the people that didn't believe to die. If you want to read it yourself, go for it. But uh, this is what the scripture says, for I earnestly, this is God speaking, for I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. In other words, they didn't listen, they ignored the warnings. But everyone walked in the imagination. And um, in the Hebrew meanings, imagination is also stubbornness. So everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. So the words um, earnestly exhorted have the same meaning as the word exhort in 2 Timothy two, um, And that meaning was, if I just go back to that, it meant to earnestly ask to do something and to offer up, to encourage, to offer up evidence that stands up in his court. So that God was saying, obey my voice. This is going to be the best way. Obey my voice. But they chose willfully to ignore God's discipline and warnings. And because of their stubbornness, they reaped what they sowed. And, uh, and remember I spoke about this a while back but you know, sowing and reaping is a spiritual law just like um, the law of gravity, that's a natural law works every time, you can't defy it permanently um, an aeroplane might be able to defy the law of gravity for a while as long as it's got propulsion and wings um, if either one of those aren't there then um, generally it can't stay up for very long and, and it's the same with sowing and reaping. You know, what you sow, you'll reap. And some people call that karma. Some people call that what goes around comes around. Uh, but, you know, God says in Proverbs 16:25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So God is really clear. He's, he's, he's trying to encourage us here. He's saying... He even tells us, in fact, in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy. And why does he say that? It's because of the law of sowing and reaping. He knows that if we walk a holy life, we're going to reap good stuff. Um, and sin leads to death. So there's two groups of people that I want to speak to, and I, it would be great if we're not in either group. But you might be. You might be in one group, or you might be in both groups. And the groups are, one, those who judge, and the second one is those who willfully sin. So um, unless your motivation is to, this is to those who judge others, unless your motivation is to warn another believer in love, judgment is sin. Um, instead, the Bible teaches us in Galatians 6.1 to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So Galatians 6.1. And also in Ephesians 4.15, the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. That's very clear, isn't it? You know, the truth. Speak it in love every time. So we should never avoid telling the truth, but our motivation must always be to restore them in a loving way. And to those who are stubborn... James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And also Hebrews 10.26, that says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It's because we've effectively trampled what Jesus did for us under our feet, treating it as if it's not even important. Treating it as if God doesn't really care about sin in his children. But he tells us, be holy, for I am holy. Um, And verse 29 says that it's insulting to the spirit of grace. And I know we are saved by grace. We're we're not under law, we're under grace, absolutely. Um, It's not by good works that we've done. It's not by um, being sin-free that we were saved. Titus 3, 5 says, we're saved by his mercy. And I want to give you a really good example, it's a brilliant example actually of, um, and I'll probably stop after I've got th- through this example. I haven't finished my message, but maybe I'll continue next time. I want to give you an example of, a, of Jesus um, not judging, but, but doing correcting in love. And uh, it's a brilliant example, and I want to read it to you from John 8. And uh, we've got part of the scripture that should be up on the screen, but I'll I'll read it, the part we don't have at least. So in John 8, verse 2, it says, Early in the morning Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Notice they said in the law, we're not under the law now, we're under grace, but uh, and that that's 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 a harsh penalty, eh? Being stoned to death. Verse six: They said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he didn't hear. This was a really this is a really great example, actually, of those who are judgmental, but also um, those who who have made you know sin. And so I just. So verse 7 we should have on the screen. So when they continued asking him, so they just kept pestering him, he ended up standing up and said to them, he who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. That's all he said. That's all he needed to say. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience... It's interesting, they were convicted by their conscience. Went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So they realized, actually, I make mistakes as well. So if so, so that's not gonna be me, and so that person left, and then someone else was thinking at the same time, oh, yeah, I think I'll just quietly sneak out as well. <laughs> Until they'd all gone, and it was only Jesus left and the woman. And uh, in verse 10, it says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Then he also said, Go and sin no more. That's cool, eh? you know, there's no big and there's no little sin, okay, um, and it says that in the Bible that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, that just means that he's warning us of sin, that's it, that word conviction, you know, again, he convinces us from the word that it's sin, Um so John sixteen eight says that, and it is Satan who condemns, and we can also condemn ourselves as well. I know that that is possible, um, but and the Bible calls Satan the accuser. He does accuse. He's like, you've done this. You're terrible. Aye. and and I and sometimes we actually think they're our thoughts, but they're not. They're actually thoughts that Satan's put in our mind, um, and. Jesus told her not to sin anymore. And uh, I want to read a scripture to you in Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in other words, um, when you are when you're living according to the word of God, when you are when living a holy life, there is no condemnation at all. There is none. And it is not God that would condemn you either. The Holy Spirit will convict. He will not condemn. And so walking according to the flesh is living based on what you want rather than what God wants. So, so it's really important that we learn to speak the truth in love because... It's it's really important to to tell the truth, right? And if we have um, brothers and sisters who might be um, making a mistake that could be, you know, bad for them, as a parent, isn't it our duty to tell our children when that happens? And and so and so also, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Um, I think I'll I think I'll stop there. Uh, I just wanted to say though. One more thing, that as pastors there may be times when Pastor Peter or I will need to convince or rebuke or exhort you. (laughs) Um, Having a heart which is open and teachable goes a long way in receiving that correction well. And uh, if we do need to do that, um, I want you to realise that God's placed a call on our lives as shepherds of your soul, and one day we're going to have to give account to God for that. Uh, You won't, we will for for doing that and uh, and so we take it seriously because of that otherwise we'd be neglecting (laughs) what God's called us to do and so we do it out of a motivation of love and a desire to see you grow and continue to mature as believers and you know God even says in his word whom the Lord loves he corrects, right? Um, So I may continue a little bit more on that next week. We'll see. But I just want to pray. And I want to give an opportunity for anybody that doesn't know God to, that might want to receive him as well, because, you know, God is the most loving God ever. Um, I know if you read the Old Testament, it doesn't appear like that is, that is the way. But we're, we're, um, for, through what Jesus did, God has got so many blessings. God has got so many blessings. A lot of the things that happened in the Old Testament that didn't seem good were based on the law and also results of sowing and reaping as well. But, um, but I'd, I'll, I'll just pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you, Father God, that Holy Spirit you convict um, us if we need conviction. And thank you, Father God, for your love for us, your blessing and uh, your, your provision, Father. Thank you, Lord, for planting us in the church that you've planted us in and we're so thankful for that Lord um, I just pray blessing and life over every person here today and all, and all their family as well in Jesus name and I, I want to give an invitation for anybody that doesn't know Jesus if you don't know God and you'd like to get if you'd like to start a relationship with him put your hand up because I'd really like to lead you in a prayer um, a prayer of salvation, which is just a short prayer. That's all you have to do. Can't see any hands. That's fine. So if you if you'd like to still do that, come and see me afterwards. I'm going to open up um, for prayer now. And if if God's been speaking to you, and you'd like some prayer for that, or if you'd like some prayer for anything at all, then come on up the front. Haley's going to put some music on, some some worship music. And, uh, and I, just want to, I just want to encourage you, never let um, fear of man or fear of what people are thinking about you stop you come up for prayer because it's irrelevant to the, uh, anyone else. It's uh, between you and God. And if, you, if you'd like prayer, we would love to pray for you. Um, or you can just come up and, and just spend some time in God's presence.